let's turn to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. And um, this is God's instruction to Joshua. And this is what he says. When you read it, it seems like God is saying, you know, this is your formula for good success. This is how you're going to make your way prosperous. Now, you want to be prosperous, you want to be successful, then this is how you do it. So we read Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, and, we, and this is how it goes. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's from God himself. And this is what he says, that the book of law, the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. And the reason is this, why you meditate is this, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So as believers, you know, we are, we are careful about obeying the word of God, about trusting and obeying the word of God. And, uh, and we are also you know, diligent about uh, meditating on the Word of God, thinking deeply about what the Word of God says, thinking deeply, studying the Word of God. But I just want to draw our attention to another, you know, if you want to call it spiritual discipline, which is to speak the Word of God, to speak the Word of God. Yes, we obey the Word, we do think about the Word and meditate deeply about the Word of God. But the third one, the third area, is to confess the word of God. Let the word of God not depart from your mouth. Let's speak it. Let us not be absent, but let's speak the word of God. Amen? And as we make our declaration today, let's remember to to make it our lifestyle, to pursue this as diligently as we do reading and praying and so on. Okay, let's all stand up and lift our Bibles high and make our declaration this morning. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ. And a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. The last 10 days, I happened to uh, attend a couple of uh, you know, funeral services. Okay, one was here in Bangalore, and the other one was in Chennai. And uh, one was a friend's uh, mother, the other one a relative, my wife's relative, and uh, ha- happened to attend the service. And, uh, and uh, there were a lot of similarities. Like, both were old uh, ladies. Uh, one uh, person was in the 70, late 70s, and the other one was in the mid-80s. And um, they had seen two generations, um, you know, and uh, they loved the Lord so much. And the testimonies of people seem to be very similar. Especially, you know, here in Bangalore. So the children came and shared one after the other how their mother was. That how she was, she was a very simple lady. 
and how single handedly you know she brought the children up she brought them up and provided for their needs and so on then the grandchildren came and uh, one uh, granddaughter she sang and the other a grandson he also testified saying you know she was a very kind and loving lady and um, then the other person came and said you know she was so annoyingly hospitable so annoyingly i believe that when they went to the house she would come with a mug of water for them to wash their hands and they cannot leave the house without having a cup of tea at least at least a cup of tea and they said you know uh, as as the days went on she was old and she uh, she had pain in the joints her hands were shaking and uh, from her you know path to the from the kitchen to the to the living room most of the tea would be on the floor than in the cup but she would still make that cup of tea and uh, and they were greatly impacted these children they were greatly impacted and i know that they were not saying stuff just for the sake of saying and one statement you know the son made really uh, stuck to my mind and he said you know my mother said son don't ever hurt the heart of god don't ever hurt the heart of god you know they simple people and they did simple things simple gestures acts of kindness and they lived a life which has made a lasting impact to generations you know i believe that god has called us to live a life that makes an impact not just come and uh, you know take in the oxygen and and just go away this use up the oxygen and go no 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 god has called us as believers to live a life of influence to live a life that impacts other people in fact when we read um, first uh, peter chapter 2 and verse 9 and this is what he says he says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you know that's who we are that's who we are he's not just talking about the jewish nation you know he's talking about every believer a chosen generation his own special people called out of darkness and conveyed into his marvelous light and he says that we are called to proclaim his praises proclaim his praises the word used there for praises virtues to proclaim his qualities to proclaim who god is to the generation around and the generation to come we are called to do that and uh, timothy uh, paul when he writes to timothy in first timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 this is what he says he says let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word in conduct in love in spirit in faith and in purity he lists these six things and he says be an example be an example to people you know as we look at our own lives you know we need to check and ask you know am i an example is my life what is called an example you know am i making a statement you know all of us you know we make some kind of statement or the other not verbally 
but non verbally by the way we live we are all making statements do we know that yes you know by the clothes we wear we make a fashion statement you know by the way we behave we make a statement we're saying hey i'm cool or i'm what not we're making a statement and paul in writing to timothy is saying timothy you're a young man you're in charge of this church you know there are people who are older than you who are in the, in the church there are you know there are um, younger women there are older women there are young men old men everyone there's a cross section of society there so timothy let no one despise your youth let no one look down on your youth but you make a statement you be a role model you be an example in the way you live and he lists down six things in word in conduct in love in purity in faith and so on you know when we look at the word proclaim his praises you know we think okay i must go and i must speak and i must share the gospel that is true which is very true we need to go we can need to open our mouths and we need to make a statement and say you know this is who god is but equally important and and sometimes you know more important than that is the way we live the way we live you know we can make actually make a silent proclamation which can be very very loud in the eyes of people you know we uh, are just sharing about water baptism water baptism is actually a silent declaration it's not a verbal declaration but it's a very powerful declaration of what has become what has happened in us the death and the burial and the resurrection of jesus the reality of that we're actually proclaiming without even whispering a word we're saying this is who i am i belong to god the old is dead and i'm alive in christ therefore the life that we live is actually a very very loud proclamation to people around sometimes we profess we say a lot of things but in the way we live you know if it doesn't measure up then there is a lot of disconnect lot of disconnect so timothy um, is exhorted by paul and i think he's actually commanded he says you know let no one despise your youth but be an example we need to say i will be an example i will make a statement i will proclaim by the way i live by the way i live so let's look at those um the six things that paul lists for timothy you know the first thing that he says is this timothy be an example to the believers in word be an example to the believers in word in the words that you speak timothy be an example in the words that you speak be an example you know when we change our environment you know our words sometimes change the kind of words that we speak and have you noticed the words that we speak in church may not be the words that we speak when we move out of church maybe in the workplace maybe at home when we are ourselves the words that we speak and paul is exhorting timothy to be an example because people are watching people are hearing the words that we speak so he's saying be an example 
in the words that you speak. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37, he says, Let your yes be yes, and let your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. He says, let your yes be yes, and let your no, no. What is he saying? He's saying, let there be integrity in the words that you speak. In the words that we speak, is there integrity? Is our yes, yes, and is our no, no. You know, the other day we were having, um, I think, lunch or dinner, some meal at home, and, um, and my wife said, you know, do you want some more of this? And I made a you know, very terrible face, an expression, and I said, no, I don't want it. And then um, you know, she made an observation. She said, you know, I think as Indians, we, you know, we, this is how we do it. You know, any other culture, maybe, you know, uh, they might not really make such a face to refuse something, refuse especially food. Because as a culture, you know, we, are, um, we are aggressive when it comes to our hospitality. Right? We are very aggressive. And unless you aggressively push away that spoon which is coming your way, you, know, you will have it on your plate. Or your hand if you cover the plate. You know, that's how we are. So sometimes our no is not, a, you know, is, is sometimes taken as a yes. It's, it's a polite thing. You know, do you want tea? No, no, no. We, it's okay. We just had. And sometimes, no, no, no. You know, they, we need to come back twice or thrice and I said, okay. But let our yes be yes. And let our no, no. I'm sure you've had that experience where you know, you, we entrust a task to someone, and the person says, yes, I'll do it. But in your heart, you know, oh, will he actually do it? Will she actually do it? Will she actually get it done? Or maybe, you know, it has been done to us. Maybe we've been asked to do something. We've said yes. And most often, you know, we end up not doing the things that we said that we will do. But we, we need to be examples in the word that we speak. There needs to be integrity in our communication. You know, as believers, as people who are called to proclaim his praise. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, you know, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Corrupt word includes uh, bad language and, and et cetera, et cetera. But it also includes, you know, hateful, spiteful, malicious, false words, lies coming out. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? So we see two things here. One is that our words can actually build up people. Our words can build up people. These are not just mere, mere words. Our words can build up, encourage, bring life. And that's how God has wired us. That's how God has designed us. So he says, you speak what is good for necessary edification. What can build up people. And look at the second part. He says, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It depends on the kind of words that we use. When we use the right kind of words, there is an impartation of grace. There is a divine favor, there's a divine enablement that comes about, that is imparted in the hearer. And we use the right kind of words. So we are called, we are 
encouraged to do that. In James chapter 3 and verse 10, James again says, you know, blessing and cursing, everything comes from the same mouth. It ought not to be so. He warns us. So we are called to be examples in the words that we speak. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. There is a divine impartation that's taking place. And the second one that he says is this, be an example in conduct, in your behavior, the way you live your life. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he, he put it this way, he said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Sometimes we go to another extreme and say, you know, by the way I live my life, that's how I will preach my gospel, I will never use words. You know, which is one extreme. And the other extreme is I will just preach, but no matter what my life is, God understands. That's the other extreme. But we need to, you know, live a life that is pleasing to God. Live a life that, is, uh, that brings honor to his name. And we need to preach the gospel. We need to use words as well. But look at our conduct. Is our conduct, you know, worthy of our God? You know, uh, we read in, um, in Matthew chapter 5, we are called to be salt and light in the world. And Jesus says that, let your light so shine forth. And how do we make that light shine forth? He says that the heavenly father, that people will see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That they may see our good works, that they may see how we live our life, what we do, and glorify our father in heaven. So our conduct is very, very important. You know, and most of Christendom, you know, the name of God is maligned. The name of the church is maligned because of this. Because we are good at professing. We are great orators. We speak well. We speak high and lofty things and high ideals. But our life needs to measure up as well. Our life needs to measure up. And there's no point in saying, you know, till my life measures up, you know, I will, I will not share the gospel you know, there's this uh, joke. It's best told in Tamil. But anyway, I'll try to you know, say that in English. You know, there's, there's this conversation between two believers. They were just talking. and So this guy was telling the other person, you know, you know I, I just love to preach. I preach the gospel. But I also smoke. And, um, you know, I gave up. After some time, I gave up. So the other guy asked, what, smoking? Then says, no, preaching the gospel. <laughs> you know, sometimes we are like that. We let go of the other, and then we just give up the fight. But, you know, let's stir up ourselves. Let's lay hold of that which is good. And say, no, I, I need to change. I will take action. You know, my behavior doesn't measure, measure up. I will take action in my mind. I will gird up the loins of my mind. Because my mind is involved in, in my behavior. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul writes and he says, Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, be transformed. How? By the renewing or the reforming or the reshaping of your mind. You know, we, so many times we try to change our behavior, you know, how we live, Without changing our thoughts, what we think about, what we meditate on, 
Because what we think about, what we are full of, what we make space in our mind for, that we end up doing. That we end up doing. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Behind every action is a thought. And therefore, we need to change the way we think. We need to reform our thinking. Shape our thinking. And get our thinking in line with God's thoughts. So that it will result in changed behavior, transformed behavior. So renewed mind is equal to renewed or transformed behavior. And we are called to be living that kind of transformed behavior. Now just a couple of things here. You know, just because we know the truth or we have an understanding of this is how I'm expected to live does not mean that my mind is renewed to it. I might know the truth, but unless I discard my old way of thinking and I pick up the truth actively, then my mind cannot be renewed. So I need to do that. I need to discard my old way of thinking and I need to take up and embrace the truth and hold on to it so that my mind may be renewed and my action will follow suit. And also, you know, the proof of the renewed mind is a transformed conduct or a transformed life. So the second one that we see is that in our conduct, we are called to live a life and our conduct needs to be an example to people. The third one we see is in the area of love. Jesus quoted these couple of verses in one when the lawyer asked him, you know, what is the greatest of the commandments? In Matthew chapter 22 and verses 37 to 40, he went and he wanted to test the Savior and he said, what is the greatest of the commandments? So Jesus said, he quoted from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 and also Leviticus 19 and verse 18 and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. So we have been commanded to love our God. You know, are we examples in our love for God? In our love for God? In our passion for God? We are called to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. And it's a challenge for us to love God with all our heart. You know, when we look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, uh, we read about the persecution that's, uh, that uh, started after, after the martyrdom of Stephen. And we see that something you know, radical happening there. You know, let's, let's read that verse, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. So this is what it says. It says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, Preaching the word. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. These were people who were persecuted. These were people who were actually being chased for following the Lord Jesus. People like you and I. They were being persecuted. They they had to run for their lives from Jerusalem. And they, and they, they were just scattered. They went. They ran away. And it says here, you know, as they were scattered... They went everywhere preaching the word. You know, it's like if we were persecuted here, right here, Museum Road. And suppose we, we had to go, we, we were just running and uh, we're going all the way to, 
you know kamnahalli and banaswadi you know that's the bible belt you know by the way we are you know we're running all the way there and on the way we see charles ground lingrajpuram and we just stop there and say hey this seems to be a nice place where i can share my tracks i can distribute tracks this seems to be a good place to you know to have a meeting to call people together and maybe take out the guitar and and sing a few songs and get people together and share the gospel it's it's like that that's what they did and we would say you know you don't have to be fanatical like that just run for your life but these people the early disciples loved the lord so much they were so con- full of conviction of what they were how they were living their lives and what they were preaching that as they were being arrested and chased they stopped and shared the gospel and philip did the same thing in samaria he preached the gospel there was great revival you know are we being examples in our love for god in our love for god the way we pursue god the way we spend time with god are we being examples the second one is this that we are called to love others as we love ourselves and we are given this love called agape an unconditional love and we are given that to love others with romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says that this love this agape love this unconditional love this love which comes without any strings attached has been put in our hearts is in fact it's called the love of god the way god loves the love of god it's been poured out into our hearts by the holy spirit it's been given to us it's been poured out into our hearts by the holy spirit and we have been commanded to love others with this love with this kind of love which means that when the bible says when we are commanded when we are instructed to do something which means it is possible and we see examples of it in scripture Stephen when he was when he was martyred he says lord forgive them do not hold this wrong against them and we see instances of people who loved who loved so much in fact we read about there are several extra biblical accounts about people who were persecuted and thrown to the lions and they were singing and they were praying for the soldiers who actually threw them in that was the love of god in them so alive the love that loved their enemies the love that loved their enemies and hearts were changed the hardened soldiers their lives were changed because they saw this happening they saw the way these people died and even in cambodia people were lined up and shot for their faith they prayed for their persecutors people's lives were changed because of that love and it is possible if we let god express or enable him to strengthen us to express that love that our minds can be renewed so much that we begin thinking like god that we begin looking at others the way god looks at people and say god i want to love them it is possible and you know we can love god It's very easy to love God because he doesn't change. He's the same. He is good, he's faithful. But people change. 
one day they are faithful another day they are not one day they are loving another day they ignore it is a difficult thing to love people and that is why god has given us his resource his love his agape love and says you love them with this love this love i put in your heart now you go love them so we are to be examples in the way we love and in same context of love we read in ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 where we see you know paul exhorting the ephesian church and he's saying church in ephesus and he says be imitators of god be imitators of god you know what would jesus do in that situation would he love in what way would he love be imitators mimic god in loving others so that's the third thing that we are called to be examples in love and fourthly we are called to be examples in spirit in spirit in who we are in our innermost beings out of our innermost beings we are called to be examples now there are many things that you can you know that we can share about this but i just want to mention a couple of things here one is to be examples in our motives which is why we do what we do to be examples in our motives you know we can do a great thing we can do a noble thing we can do the right thing but what is our motive behind that so why do i do that right thing which is pleasing to god but why do i do that and uh, jesus mentions this in uh, matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4 let's go there matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4 take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven therefore when you do a charitable deed do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men assuredly i say to you they have their reward but when you do a charitable deed do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly why do we do that why do we serve why do we minister you know in paul's times there were people who were sharing the gospel so that they might add affliction to paul's chains meaning that he was in prison but they were doing this so that people can afflict him more in the prison so we can serve we can do the most noble of things with the wrong motive but god knows our hearts god knows our hearts and we are to be examples in our motives hey why do i do that why do i give is it because of you know because i crave for the appreciation and the approval and uh, the acknowledgement of uh, the applause of people around or do i do this because i want to please god or do i do this because i genuinely care for this person and so many times you know our efforts are well we they do get the approval and the applause of men but they get negated by god because god says you know when we read in revelation it says i know you have a reputation that you are alive but actually you are dead our reputation is what others talk about us but our character is who we are actually and our motive needs to be right so we are exhorted to be you know be examples in our motives and the second one is also about our attitude our attitude this is what we do 
why do we do what we do? The first one is why do we do the things that we do? And how we do it is the second one. How we do. Are we doing it excellently? Are we doing what we are called to do with a lot of grumbling and complaining? You know, sometimes I'm, you know, I must confess that I'm guilty of this. Will you get this done? Okay. Start doing it. Oh, grumble, mutter, you know. Why didn't that person do it? Why, didn't, why couldn't the other person do it? But God looks at that. No, that's not doing it as unto the Lord. You know, when we do it, let's do it cheerfully and with a whole heart. And uh, that's how we are exhorted in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 17 and uh, 23. Colossians 3 and verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So whatever we are called to do, let's do it with enthusiasm. Let's do it with a zeal. And our why we do what we do and how we do what we do, let, let it bring glory to his name. Let's do it as unto the Lord. You know, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, you know, it's really an inspiration for me and personally. And a challenge, I'm sure, for all of us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul, he was in prison and he's writing to those who are free. And he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things. You know, he's writing to the guys who are running around scot-free. He's encouraging them. Do all things without complaining or disputing. What a perspective. What a perspective. No wonder God could entrust so much in his hands. And if you read the following chapters, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. You guys who are running around under the open sky, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice. He was in prison writing to them. Let's do all things as unto the Lord. And fifthly, we are called to be examples in our faith. Be examples in our faith. You know, faith in God is faith in what he has revealed in his word. We are called to be examples in faith. Hebrews chapter 11 lists the hall of fame of faith. It lists the heroes of faith. The, the many things that they accomplished, the many things that they did because of their faith in God. Because of their trust in him. And we are called to be examples. We are called to emulate their faith and be examples to others. In the way we trust God, the way we believe God, in the way we have faith in Him. We are called to do that. And um, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Please who? Please God. And he says, he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God exists and that God is all that he said he is. All that he said he is. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God's declared, God reveals himself in his word. And faith in God is actually faith in his word. What he has revealed, what he has said about himself. And that's faith. 
and when we turn to Isaiah chapter 41 and, and the, you know, the rest of the chapters after that, we see so much about what God is saying about himself. He says, I am so-and-so. I am so-and-so. I am the one who saves. I am the one who heals. I will be there for you. I will hold you. I will uphold you. Even to your gray hairs, I am, I am the Lord. And I will carry you. And so on. He says, I am this. I am this. So when we come to God, we need to come in faith and say, Lord, you are all that you said you are, Lord. In my situation, God. In my life, oh God. In my family, oh God. In my career, God. You are all that you said you are. All that you said you are, God. Because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And faith is not really, you know, gritting our teeth and saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. Oh, now I can fly. <laughs> you know, it's not that. But faith is actually, you know, coming to that place of intimacy with God. Coming to that place of intimacy. You know, uh, the psalmist, when he writes in 91, let's go there. Psalm 91 and verse 2. This is what he testifies. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Okay, so that's a statement of faith. He is my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God, and him I will trust. But look at the verse before that. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells the person who dwells in that secret place of the Most High God. The one who dwells in that secret place. The one who makes that provision to spend that time with God. To come to that place of intimacy. To come to that place of knowing God. Knowing that He will do what He said He will do. Now somebody said, faith is not believing that God can. But faith is knowing that God will. Because you are in that place of intimacy. That place of intimacy, that, that comes from constant communication with our God. Hearing and speaking and spending time, that quality time with Him. And I want to be in that place of intimacy. Don't you want to be in that place of intimacy? We desire to be in that place of intimacy. We, said, we sang that song, we said, Lord, you are the very air that I breathe, O oh God. You are my daily bread, O oh God. We're saying, God, you, no, without you, I cannot, I cannot go on. Life cannot be sustained, oh God. That place of intimacy where God is able to whisper into our ears what he wants to be shouted from the rooftops. That place of intimacy where we know that God has spoken. That place of intimacy where our, where our faith is so built up where we can say, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That place of intimacy where we can say, like the three Israelites, where we can say, even if you throw us into that furnace, yet we will not bow down. Yet we will not bow down and serve you. That place of intimacy, which gives us great boldness, that place of intimacy, which gives us great faith. And God is calling us for that. God is calling us to that place. That secret place. And it's not just gritting, not just manufacturing something. No, no, no. 
it comes from knowing God. It comes from knowing him intimately. And we are called to be examples in that faith, that kind of faith, that kind of faith. You know, our children need to see that, you know, daddy and mommy have that kind of faith. Things around them are not going, you know, too well. But, you know, I see daddy holding on to God. I see mommy holding on to God. And that was the testimony of, you know, the children and the grandchildren at these two funerals. They were testifying, saying, you know, they held on to God. No matter what. Such was their closeness with God. Such was their intimacy. So faith, which comes from a place of intimacy. We are called to be examples. And lastly, we are called to be examples in purity. We are called to be examples in purity. The way we live our lives. You know, not too long ago, maybe a decade ago, um, there was this organization which, uh, which did a research. You know, I'm talking about uh, an American context. So they did a research. Now they are known for making such researches. You know, they are known for you know, studying the church and studying the believers and, and the Christians and, and so on. So they made this research and they came out with this finding. They studied the lives of believers. They studied the life of people who do not know God. And they came out with this report. They said, in the majority of cases, there seems to be no difference. These people are saying the same things. These people are watching the same shows. These people are living the same lives. We are called to be examples in our purity. We are called to be examples in our purity. You know, as married people, we are called to be examples in our purity. As single people, we are called to be examples. You know, we can't say, you know, I cannot live that life. No, 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 God has called us. Which means we are able to do that. We are well able to do that. Sometimes we, we say, okay... I'm not in a physical relationship, you know, I'm a married person, I'm not in a physical relationship, therefore I'm holy and pure before God. You know, but Jesus says, you know, even if you look at a woman to lust for her, you have committed adultery. Now, he's taking holiness and purity to a whole other level. Now, if this is what is in your mind and if this is what is in our meditation and our fantasying, says you have committed adultery. So we need to check our lives. You know, what is our action? Am I living in open sin? Maybe as a single person, maybe as a married person. Is my life pure before God? Can I go before God and say, Lord, my life is pure? Secondly, it is not just the lack of the physical thing. What about my mind? What do I think about? What do I meditate on? Is that pure and holy before God? And the other thing is, the words that we speak. The words that we speak. You know, sometimes we use innuendos in our conversation. Maybe not in church, or maybe in a workplace setting, maybe in a college setting, maybe in school. Our humor, we need to check. What about the SMS that I send? What about that online chat that I, that I spend doing? Is it pure and holy before God? That email that I send, that chat that I have, that SMS that I send, 
I need to check. Because he knows. I just want to place this before us this morning. You know, if our spouse is standing next to us, would we be able to open that inbox and say, okay, you take a look at it. These are the mails that I'm receiving. And go to the sent folder and say, okay, these are the mails that I've sent. Or maybe show the phone and say, these are the messages that I've sent. These are the messages that I've received. Can we do that? If our spouse is next to us, we need to check. God is calling us to a life of purity. God is calling us. And with that purity, I can assure you, comes great boldness. Great boldness before God and before man. You know that there's nothing holding you back. And that purity leads to a great intimacy with God and with your spouse. It builds trust. It builds, it brings emotional closeness. We need that purity. God is calling us to be examples of purity in that level. In the words that we speak, in the words that we write, in the thoughts that we have, thoughts that we think, and also in our actions, we are called to be examples in purity. And sometimes we, you know, we say, okay, this is too tough. The level seems to be somewhere there and you know, I'm here and I'm striving and I'm doing and all that. You know, but Jesus has called us to follow him. And in the following, you know, there is a making that is happening. Jesus said, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. And in our following him closely, in our running that race, looking at Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. In keeping our eyes upon him and in following him closely, we are being changed. In Corinthians we read, we are being transformed from glory to glory into that same image. It's talking about the image of God. Talking about the quality and the, and the, and the, you know, the quality of God, the characteristics of God. It says, as we look at him, as we take a glimpse of his glory, as we spend time in the glory of God, we are being transformed into that same image. Into that same image. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. He is with us. He said he will take us. He will fashion us. He will change us. He will make us so that we can truly proclaim him. With, this, with our words and with our lives, we can proclaim his virtues. Amen. Amen. It's a high calling. It's a high calling. But it's not something that is impossible. It's an exciting life. It's a fulfilling life. It's a wholesome life. It's a life not devoid of challenges or conflicts or struggles. But it's a life that we can go through holding his hand. Holding his hand. Amen? Amen. Now, um, I believe that all of us have a desire. All of us have desire. You know, even as we've been listening, we say, God, I want to be like that God. You know, but we need to take that, make that decision, make that choice. Lord, I have this desire, but I'm resolving now. I'm making that decision now. And have the resolve to carry through. 
when we face those situations where we have to make a choice, we fall back on God and say, Lord, I want to be an example. I want to make a statement in the way I live, oh God. In my word, in the way I conduct my life, in love, in purity, in faith. Lord, I want to live a life in spirit. I want to live a life that pleases you. Amen? Let's make some decisions. Let's go before God and say, Lord, this is my desire, God. I have this longing to live for you. I have this longing, God, to live for you. I have this longing to reflect your glory. Lord, I have this deep desire to please you, to bring honor to your name. And let's make that choice. Let's make that decision and say, God, I'm putting a stake in the ground today, in this place. And I'm making a choice, oh God. I'm making a choice that I will cooperate with the Spirit of God. That I will put my hand in yours. And even as you lead me, I will make those righteous choices. I will make those decisions. I will not live my life just for the approval of man or the appreciation or the applause of man. But Lord, I will live for your appreciation, God. I will live to hear those words, God. To hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe some of us are in that place where you're saying, you know, I don't even have the desire. I don't, have, I don't even have the desire. I don't have the strength anymore. But I believe that God can birth that desire in our heart, in our hearts this morning. He knows the conditions of our heart. And if we will just go to him and say, Lord, can you put that desire in my heart? Can you birth that desire in my heart today? Can you touch my heart, Lord? And maybe some of us have had the desire. And from time to time, we have the desire. Every time we encounter the word of God. But there's been no resolve. Finally, when the rubber hits the road, when we face situations, we always hold back. We always seem to fail. Can we make a choice today? And take action in our mind today and saying, Lord, I will, Lord. I will, O God. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen me, O God. Strengthen my will. Strengthen me emotionally. Give me strength in the inner man, God. Maybe some of us are saying, you know, I've failed miserably in these areas and we need to get back to God. Get back to God and say, Lord, I've messed up. You know, I've lived life according to my standards, God. My code of ethics. Lord, so many times I've just looked at other person and said, I'm better than him or better than her. But Lord, you've called me to a high calling. Purity in thought, word and deed. A life of faith, a life of intimacy with you. Yes, Lord, our desires that you would have your way in us, God. Lord, in the way we live our lives, Father God. Lord, in our homes. Lord, in our place of study, in our workplace. Lord, wherever we are, God, have your way in us. Every waking moment, oh God, every time we are asleep, have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in us. Lord, you've called us with a purpose that is much bigger than us. Much, much bigger than us, God. And you're calling us your own special people, oh God. 
a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people, a generation of people who will go before God on behalf of the people and go before people on behalf of God. And that's who you've called us to be, God. Father, we thank you for this privilege. We don't take it lightly. This morning, God, we come before you and we mean business, God. Yes, Lord, our yes is going to be yes. Our yes is going to be yes. And we are saying, Lord, have your way in us. Your way, God. Your way of love. Your way of power and purity. Have your way in us, God. Shall we all stand and just look to God and just worship Him and just just invite Him in our midst and say, God, have your way in us. Every word that we speak, every word that we sing, God, you hear it. And we come, O God, without any pretense, Master. Lord, we come as people, O God, taking away all our masks. And we come real, O God. Because you are real, God. You mean every word that you say. Father, we want to thank you for your love this morning. We come before you, God, as we are. As we are. We submit ourselves before you, God. Oh, yes. Just talk to the Lord this morning. Talk to God and say, Lord, I come before you. Not as a religious thing, but because of the relationship that I have with you. Because of who you are to me, my Heavenly Father. That's why I come, God. I'm not doing this as as something that I need to do at the end of every service. No, no, no. I'm coming because, Lord, you care for me. I'm coming because you are the truth. I'm coming, oh God, change me. I need change. Have your way. Maybe there are some of us here who are saying, singing that for the first time and really meaning it in your heart, saying, Lord, have your way in me. Come into my life. I need change. And if you've never really ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life you know you can do that just invite him into your heart and say Lord Jesus I believe that you died for me on the cross I believe that you rose again so that I could spend eternity with you and I want my life to change there's so much in my life that needs change so I'm inviting you into my life come Lord change me you can pray that prayer even now say, Lord, come into my life and mean it from your heart. And he will come and change. He will come and dwell in you. And life will never be the same. Never be the same. Father, we thank you that um, you've heard every decision that is being made here, God. For you're looking into our hearts. Lord, every sigh you have heard and God, every prayer that was prayed, Lord, you've heard, Master. Thank you. Father, I just want to thank you for the choices that were made this morning. Lord, I pray for your divine strength and ability, God. You said, Lord, when we are willing, you will make us able. Father, I pray that you enable us to live for you will enable us to lay down our lives for you, God. We thank you. We thank you. We give you praise.
we trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.